Is there meaning in pain? Is there purpose in adversity? Our world is full of sorrow. We face hardships of various kinds. James tells us we all face various troubles and trials. And the suffering of this world can often influence our thoughts of God. Suffering can influence how we think about God. Suffering can cause questions or answers. Where is God? Why me, O Lord? If God is all-powerful, if God is all-good, why is this evil in the world? And we need answers. Those questions need answers. And we have answers. The Bible gives us answers. And the answers we call theologically, the answers we call theologically the doctrine of theodicy. Theodicy is the attempt to defend God against the complaints and accusations of this sad world. And there are many theodicies in the world. The oldest theodicy in the world is the theodicy of dualism. It is very ancient theodicy. It's the ancient, the, it's the ancient religion of the Eastern Church with the yin and the yang. Two necessary gods, light and dark, good and evil. And this dualistic theology lets God off the hook when it comes to the sorrows and sadness of the world because there's the good God, and when everything is good and everything is fine, well, we praise God, the good God. But when there's suffering, when there's evil, boo, 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 it's the bad God. And we hate the bad God. But we have the good God, and we love the good God. And, and this dualism is, a very, is very old and very popular. It's the, it's the theodicy of the Greco-Roman world. It's the, it's the philosophy behind uh, uh, Greek Western thought. And you can find this theodicy even in the church today. You can find it subtly in statements when Christians make statements like, God, God hates sin, but not the sinner. There's a dualism there. Do you hear it? God hates sin, but not the sinner. God hates the evil in the world, but not me. I'm something else. Sinner, and don't let the name confuse you. I know sinner, but it has nothing to do with that sin. That sin's this other thing, and that thing's evil, and God hates that, but me. And we like this theodicy because it lets us off the hook, right? But there's a problem with this theodicy, and that problem is the Bible. For according to Scripture, evil is close at hand, danger close. Evil's our hearts. I am evil born in sin. The evil is not the evil out there. The evil is within. The proper dualism is God is holy, and we are evil born in sin. There is a biblical dualism. We are dualists, by the way. God is creator, and we are creature. And God is holy, and we are sinners in need of a holy God. Another popular theodicy today is open theism. Now, I honestly thought open theism was a dead doctrine and a dead theology, and I wouldn't even brought it up, except for I've, I've learned recently 
that it's a very popular doctrine even in Missoula. Now, this doctrine was very popular in the 90s and the 2000s. I remember when I was in college in the early 2000s, we dealt with it a lot, but it was being debunked by many scholars and theologians, and I kind of thought it was dead. I didn't hear anything about it anymore. thought it was gone, no more open theism. That was just a, just, you know, a nice little fad in the 90s. But I've, I've recently heard that it's popular in Missoula, and it actually has split a megachurch in Missoula. So now, apparently, we have two megas in Missoula, or two more mega churches. I think we have a couple. But now we have a new one. We have an open theist mega church and some other kind of mega church. And so we must look at open theism again today, for it's still alive and well today. Now, open theists believe all history is open to God. History is open, that God doesn't know the future. It's open to God as it's open to you and I. Time and space is unknown and uncontrolled by God. Time and space is unknown and uncontrolled by God. And so providence is blind fatalism. Evil just is and always will be, and God can do nothing about it. But he's really smart. And he can help, kind of. God is like a fireman helping in a burning building. You know, firemen know a lot about fires, and they can help. And God is like a fireman helping you in a burning building, but he's stuck in the burning building with you. Now, it's great that he's there because he's a fireman. He knows more about fires than you. He knows about structures and all this. And I mean, I'd rather be in a burning building with a fireman than a baker. Right? Firemen know a lot more than a baker. So that's like God. God can kind of help. He's really smart. But what happens when the fire gets too out of control, too hot? All the firemen can eventually do and help you in a burning building that there's no way out is he can, he can help. He can say, well, at least we're going to suffocate before we burn to death. And I guess that kind of helps. <laughs> but we don't want the fireman in the burning building. We want a fireman outside the burning building. We want one who's in control of heaven and earth, control of all time, all things visible, invisible, can move everything by his hand. Then you can have help. You see, knowing some things, being really smart only gets you so far. But knowing, doing, and controlling heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible in time itself gets you all the help you will ever need. Open theism justifies pain by stripping God of his deity. I guess Jesus was wrong to say, I will lose none of them. I will lose none that the Father... Are you sure? Well, I kind, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful I will lose none. And I guess Jesus wasn't so wise to say, you know, every sparrow falls to the ground because of the Father's will. Well, maybe, but... Maybe God didn't see that really clean window either. Open theism is evil. It mocks God. Another popular theodicy is the prosperity gospel. And it's not so much a theodicy as it is your best life now. And who has time for sadness? Who has time for sadness? Who has time for theology? Who cares about the really important questions of life when you can be entertained instead? 
Who has time to seriously engage the word when you got an awesome praise band, smoke machines, and a pastor with tribal tats, skinny jeans, telling you can be an authentic life and that you need to be less white? And this theodicy is not so much a philosophy than a distraction, but it is a kind of theodicy, getting you to focus not on the sadness, but on, look at this, shiny trinket over here. You can have your best life now. But it fails to appreciate the reality of sin. It, It fails to appreciate suffering and death in this world. And when the trials come, no doubt they do come to the sufferer, the sufferer, and we're all sufferers. This isn't our best life now. And when those things happen, we tend to then lack assurance and hope. And it's your fault. Right? That's the prosperity pastor's uh, charge when you come to him. Well, I don't have my best life now. Well, you don't have enough faith, brother. It's your fault. So we need a biblical the- a theodicy. And that is the providence of God. And pragmatically speaking, the providence of God is one of the most important doctrines you need to know. Providence is such an important doctrine. It is the counsel of Scripture, providence. It gives the answers to this sad world. It gives the answer to the sufferer. It's the comfort that finds contentment even in suffering, even in death. Without understanding God's providence, you'll be left lacking assurance and peace. But if you know providence, if you know providence, if you know God's hand, his sovereign, almighty, and faithful fatherly hand, then you can rejoice even in suffering. And here's the biblical theodicy. All of reality exists of, through, and unto God. And that's the truth of Heidelberg 10. Everything Heidelberg says, God upholds heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them, leaf and blade, vegetation, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, nothing by chance, but all from God's fatherly hand. That's biblical Theodicy, all reality exists through and unto and for God. All creation and time is ordained and controlled by God. Romans 11.36 says, for, for, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. All things. There's not a day that goes by that God is not in control of heaven and earth and all creatures, great and small. He has from the beginning up to this very moment and will in the future govern everything by his holy will. Jesus says, Matthew 10, 29, 30, and you can take it to the bank, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Now, the fact that he brings up the fact that a sparrow is you know, sold for a penny, you can get two for a penny. It's Jesus' way of saying, God's in control of even the most insignificant things in this world. And even the hairs on your head are all numbered. We call this providence. God did not create the 
world and leave it be, as the deists tell us, which is another type of theodicy. I don't need to bring it up. That one's dead and gone, but that was the theology of our forefathers in America. No, God has fully governed everything, great and small, from the beginning. Listen to Acts 17, 25 through 28. Nor is he served by human hands. God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And in him we live, move, and have our being. Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Providence is the counsel of God. The decree of God is his providence, directing and controlling all things. So God's counsel affects, effects all good things. Not affects, but effects. God's counsel effects all good things. God's counsel permits all evil. When we think of evil things, we think of God's permissive decree. He permits it. He allows it. And in the end, God directs all things. God directs both good and evil. As Luther said, the devil is God's devil. He directs all things to his own glory and the salvation of his people. So providence is the counsel of God which effects all good things in his creatures, permits all evil things to be done, and directs all both good and evil to his own glory and the salvation of his people. I think that's Burkoff, by the way, on the providence of God. This means everything in this world, everything in your life works together by God for your ultimate good. So then you can ask, Pastor, I'm suffering. Is God in control? Yes. Pastor, I've lost a loved one. Is God behind that? Yes. Now, if I answer no, it might seem kind of assuring. Well, God's not. No, you, you lost your loved one. Go, no, that's not God. But in reality, that makes death gratuitous and gives no purpose to evil. But if God is sovereign, even when you've been told you have an inoperable tumor, even a tumor that leads to death, tumors are God's tumors. Death is God's death. He's in control. You're not out of control. You're not spinning headlong in a tailspin. There's purpose. There's meaning. Death is God's death. Now, this doesn't mean I know exactly the answer. I'm not saying that you can come to my door, knock on my door, and ask, why, pastor? What is God doing? I don't know. It's a secret. But what I do know and what I will tell you is that he's in control. That's not a secret. It's not a secret that the heavens declare the glory of God. It's not a secret that his divine power and majesty is being revealed by creation itself. I don't even need to turn to the word to show you God's omnipotent, sovereign, powerful hand. Oh, but I will. <laughs> I'm not going to leave you without scripture. And it's a scripture that directs us to a sovereign, holy God. 
and a father that no creature will separate us from his love. Tumors don't separate us from his love. Suffering, our death, our anxiety. Do you have anxiety? There's purpose. There's meaning even in your anxiety. Your depression, there's purpose. There's meaning. What's the answer? Maybe, maybe you'll never know. But you must be patient. So biblical theology reminds us of the humbleness we need in theology, the humility of the Christian life. We must be humble before God and we trust him. And that's the beauty of Heidelberg 28, that we can be patient. We know that God is sovereign in control so we can be patient in adversity because we know that this adversity will pass. It soon will pass. It might not pass until death, but it will pass. I was telling the kids this last week in Valley, I mean, it's, a, it's, it, it's crazy to think about. We live on earth a mere, if we're, I almost said lucky, but I can't say that when we're studying providence because no such thing as chance, but you know what I mean. <laughs> if we're lucky. We lived about 85. I think that's the going rate at least, maybe for women, maybe 80 for men or something like that. 80 years. Think about, you know, the hundredth millionth year in, in glory <laughs> or the 500th billion year in glory. And we'll be sitting around thinking, remember those 80 years way back then? <laughs> oh, how we thought they were so important, those 80 little. We have glory and we have goodness of God coming so we can be patient, we can wait and we can trust the Lord because we know he moves heaven and earth and all creatures for our good. So God is sovereign and working all things together for good. Darkness is not dark to God, but the dark is light. So we can trust. We can trust God so much and do not doubt, but joyfully believe that he will provide all that we need for body and soul and life and in death. Now, some may say if God permits and directs evil, then God is unjust. That's a theodicy, right? He's unjust. How do we respond? By no means. God's not unjust. We must understand that God is free from injustice, even when it seems empirically so, even when it looks like he's at fault. No, he's just. The Bible actually appreciates God's ways in this sad world. Romans eleven thirty three. 33, oh, the depth and the riches, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. And when considering the difficult fact that God reprobates, which is part of providence, he reprobates, Paul maintains the righteousness of God. But who are you, O man? Romans 9.20. Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? It's Paul's way of saying, be humble before the Lord and trust the Lord. Be humble. Be patient. Trust the Lord. And there's no better counsel than waiting on God's providence and sovereign control. It's the medicine for our weary soul. And our doxology, is a, our doxology is, does not flow from good alone. Our psalmody, the psalms we sing are full of the blues. And even our praises are often sung. Our praises often arise out of hard times. And our songs are more frequently heard from the shadows as we sing from the last flickering candle light of joy. Yet God is praised there in the midst of our suffering. 
And we are blessed by his omnipotent hand. So brothers and sisters, pain has meaning and purpose. And the answer is providence. Do not seek to go before it, but stay behind the shadow of his wings. Psalm 91.1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty forever. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.